Amen. Good morning. We're glad you're here to worship with us today. We say welcome on behalf of all of the members at First Baptist Bay St. Louis. We're glad that you're here. My name is Brett, and I'd like to share with you a message titled, Repent or Perish from Luke chapter 12. Maybe you're joining us for the first time today, and you've become disillusioned with Christianity. And I want to say that it's not by accident that you are watching this live stream. We believe that Jesus did not come to make bad people better, but he came to bring dead people back to life. And we are all examples of that here at First Baptist Bay St. Louis. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 that for the wages of sin is death. Can you guys hear me okay? I don't know if you can or not because you really can't talk through a screen. The Bible says that we earn wages because we're sinners. And that separates us from God. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were dead in our trespasses. That we followed the prince of the power of the air. That we once lived in the passions of our flesh. We were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, meaning that God gets to write the final story. He being rich in mercy. Because of his great love for us, though we were dead, he brings life to us. And so we are all examples of his grace at our church. And Jesus has made us alive through the power of the gospel. And so be encouraged that the stream that you're watching today is, is not a bunch of perfect people that have it figured out. But we have had our own lives changed by God. Please open your Bible to Luke chapter 13. And as we get started, uh, I want to state the obvious things are different. Uh, if you go to the grocery store, you can only buy one roll of toilet paper. This week I found myself at the grocery store and I was walking down the aisle and I see three different people coming at me. And I thought to myself, oh no, what am I going to do? And I turned around and there were people coming at me from the other direction. I began to panic and so I stood next to the cereal and I had my face up against the cereal. People were walking so close to me. And I thought, oh, my goodness, do you people not watch the news? And, and uh, I was terrified, and I felt like I was being frisked up against the cereal aisle in the grocery store. And, and I just thought to myself, man, things are different. Things have changed. But I'm reminded that God does not change. He's the same. If you are hearing about the coronavirus for the very first time, you probably should pause this live stream and message us at the church. We've got some things we need to tell you. Uh, I know there are probably some fishermen down in Louisiana waters right now, and nothing has changed for them, and they don't have a clue what's going on, and uh, they don't even, many of them don't even need toilet paper anyways, and uh, they, the only thing they know about corona is that too much of it will make you have a bad day on the water the next day. But uh, we're going to open up God's word in Luke chapter 13. You say, well, pastor, I'm visiting, uh, I'm, I'm tuning in for the first time. And, and, you know, why do we need the Bible? Why, why do we need the Bible during these days? Does it really apply? Shouldn't you be uh, reading a scientific paper from the, the Center for Disease and Control and, and, and talking about how religion can help you through this crisis? Well, we believe it at our church that that the Word of God is inerrant and powerful, 
And we believe it's the best thing for us during these days. The Lord is the best, the number one most thing that we need to get us through this trial. The Bible says about itself in Hebrews chapter 4 that the word of God is living and active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to our soul. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. So that's, that's why we believe it's alive and that's why we spend time in it. That's why we feast upon it. That's why it, it, it holds a prominent place in our worship service. You say, well, how do we know the Bible is trustworthy? Well, I'm so glad you asked because I'd like to share just a few things before we jump into Luke chapter 13. You know, the history books in our schools teach about Alexander the Great. Have you ever heard of him? He was one of the greatest military strategists uh, that the world has ever seen. But did you know that the, the earliest, the oldest manuscript that we have about his life was written a thousand years after he was even born. And the manuscripts that we have about him, there's only five, and they come from the medieval period. They're not even ancient manuscripts, meaning they're not even that close to when he lived. Yet, we, we learn about Alexander the Great and so many others in our history lessons at school. If you stack ancient manuscripts for a famous secular writer such as Plato, Socrates, Herodotus, Caesar, all these different ancient secular writers that we have, their works. On average, for each classical writer, if you stack all of their manuscripts that we have from history, including all of the manuscripts that even reference them, on average, the stack of these manuscripts for each classical writer would be about four feet high. Four feet high. In comparison, if you take all of the ancient manuscripts from just the New Testament alone, we have 25,000 ancient manuscripts. If you were to stack them up, they would stack one mile high. To give you a picture, the Statue of Liberty is 0 .05 miles high. The Beau Rivage in Biloxi is 0 .06 miles high. The One World Trade Center is 0 0.3 miles high. Do you get a picture of all of the authenticity, all the credibility of the ancient manuscripts in the Bible? If you add the Old Testament manuscripts, it would stack two and a half miles high. You say, Pastor, what's, that, what's this have to do with anything? Well, the Word of God... There's more copies of the Bible that have been burned than any other book in the history. The followers of the Bible have been killed and persecuted more than any other religious group throughout history. More governments have banned scripture than any other book in history. Yet today, it is the most widely circulated, the most printed, the most widely read text on the planet. Why? You say, why? Because it's the word of the living God. The word of the Lord endures forever, the Bible says. We have over 60,000 ancient manuscripts, Old Testament and New Testament. We can put our hope in God's clear word. The Bible says in Psalm 119, your, your word, O Lord, is everlasting. It is firmly fixed in the heavens. And so today, during this crisis that is ravaging our nation, ravaging the nations, we look to God's word for a word. 
We, we cry out to the Lord, God, what are you doing? Where are you? And he is our hope. By the way, I want to say before we do read this most holy text. Children, kiddos, if you're paying attention, I want to tell you to do something. Go over to your mom or your dad or your grandpa and just pat them on the back right now and tell them you're doing a great job. Just go ahead and do it right now in the service. Say, thanks for taking care of me during these days. Great job, Mom. Great job, Dad. Now, I want us, for all of our senior adults watching that as of two weeks ago, you never got online, some of you. Many of our seniors are tech savvy and they just don't want anybody to know about it. But in American Sign Language, you clap by holding your hands up like this and doing this. Okay, so can we all give a big hand clap? For all of our seniors and elderly online right now, you're doing a great job. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. And if you're physically able, I'd like to ask you to stand up in honor of reading God's Word. You can, sir, you can just pull the recliner lever back or forward and just stand up in honor of reading God's Word right there in your house. You don't have to if you're physically unable. The Lord understands that. Luke chapter 13, we'll start in verse 1. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? Because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You may be seated. In this text, there were some people. Jesus had just been talking to the disciples and all the people about why he had come to the earth. And some people piped up and says, Lord, did you hear about those Galileans who were killed? And they share with him this news. It was in a recent event that took place. And in this text that we just read, there's two great tragedies that are referenced. The first is that some people had been killed by Pilate as they were worshiping, offering sacrifices in the temple. These two, this reference, and also the one that Jesus brings up about the Tower of Siloam, they're not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. And so we don't have a lot of details about what took place, why those people died. But we do know that Jesus responds to this news about the Galileans being killed by asking a question. Look what he says in verse 2. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? As of today, there are over 30,000 people who have died worldwide because of the coronavirus. Over half a million have been infected. And it makes me ask the question, and maybe you've thought it, are those people... What did they do in their life to catch this virus? And 
why don't we have it yet? It's a fair question. And so if we were to ask the Lord, God, is it because those people are worse sinners than us? And he would tell us today, he would respond in this, this way, no, I tell you, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then Jesus brings up another incident about the tower, the collapse of the Tower of Siloam. It killed 18 people. Jesus asked them, he says, do you think it's because they're worse offenders than everyone else is the reason they died? No, I tell you. He says again, he answers it. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You say, what is the word repent? What does that mean? Well, it means to turn away from. The Merriam-Webster def, uh, definition for repent says to feel regret or contrition. To change one's mind. That's what it means to repent. True repentance will result in a change of actions. If you say, oh, I repent from this or repent from that, and then you continue to make the same choices, that's not true repentance. A person suffering is not expedited by their sin in this passage. We are all headed for judgment because we have sinned against the holy God, all of us. The Bible says that none are righteous, not even one, nobody. We all need the Lord. We all need the gospel. You say, does God have a right to judge America and all of the other nations? Absolutely. God is unique in that he is holy. He is perfect. What does holy mean? Well, the Bible mentions there's two different ways to describe holiness. Number one, and really the secondary way the Bible mentions, is that it's personal righteousness and purity. But the number one most prominent definition from Scripture means that holiness, being holy, is that you're separate, other than, different from something else. It's what Hannah wrote in, and she prayed this in her prayer time, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. I want you to turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 6. If you can, find that Old Testament book. And if you don't have a Bible with you, it's okay. Uh, we have a copy of here that we're going to read from. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6, in the first seven verses, Isaiah, he was sitting there wondering. The king had died. The nation was nervous. Rumors were swirling. Fake news was all over the internet. And there's Isaiah, God's man. And he was thinking, oh, what are we going to do? What's God going to do? What's happening? And all of a sudden, in his midst of questioning, God shows up. And he gets to see the Lord God Almighty. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. He has a vision. Look at it. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim, those are angels. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to, the, called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And look at Isaiah's response. He was a good man, by the way. 
He says, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. My, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He got to see God. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. You see, God is other than us. He's different. My son asked me, been asking me lately, who made God? Who made him? God made all of us. Who made God? And I explained to him that God, in the beginning, he was. He is. Nobody made God. He already existed. He said, well, I know, but who made him? Well, he already was. Nobody made him. He's the beginning, and he's the end. You see, our earthly finite brains cannot fathom the majesty and the power and the breadth and the knowledge of who God is. God's ways are different than our ways. His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts, and his ways are different than our ways. He is holy. Pastor John Piper writes about God's holiness. He says, God's holiness is his infinitely value, valuable as the absolutely unique, morally perfect, permanent person that he is and who by his grace has made himself accessible. That's who God is. He's so different than us and he's perfect and he's holy. This is why we need to repent. This is why we need to repent today and come back to the Lord. You see, God loves you. God wants to use this live stream broadcast to work in your life. God has sent his Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin. And today, right now, God's Holy Spirit is working in your life. He's with you. It's not by accident that you are watching this live stream. And he wants you to come back to him. He wants to lavish you with his grace and his mercy. He's not going to throw anything at you. He's not yelling at you. He wants to save you. He wants to set you free from your sins. Repent. unless And if you do not, you will all likewise perish, what Jesus told the masses. You say, what do we need to repent of? Well, I have a list of a few things and as I lit, read this, I just want to say that we all need to repent of these things, both believers and non-believers. But to be saved, for God to change your life, you need to repent of a lifestyle of sin. Agree with God that your sin is sin, and believe in the Lord Jesus, who died on the cross for your sins, was buried, and rose again. We need to repent of personal sin towards our holy God. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, all of the things that the Bible teaches not to do, We've broken those Ten Commandments. Adultery, sex outside of marriage. Sex is designed for a man and a woman in marriage only. The second thing we need to repent of as Americans, we need to, re to repent of murder in our land. There's a modern holocaust happening right now with the tragedy of abortion. And there's no press conferences daily to talk about it. Yet it's killing more people today than coronavirus. God sees it. And God's going to do something about it. 
whether he uses us to stop it or he stops it himself. Number three, we need to repent of the pride of life. The Bible mentions this, pride of life. It's talking about arrogance. It's talking about pride in self and presumption and boasting in our own selves. The Bible says that God hates pride. And we need to repent of our pride. We need to repent of our religious pride, our religious arrogance, our self-righteousness. We need to repent of our disobedience. James chapter 4, verse 17 says that to the one that knows what's right and doesn't do it, that is sin. God's been very clear about what he expects us to do and where he wants us to go, what he wants us, what he wants us to be focused on. And if we don't obey him, that's sin. And lastly, there's a lot more, but just trying to hit most of the things that separate us from God. Number five is our idols. God is using this crisis to strip away all of our idols in our culture. Our infatuation with the things of this world, God's just shutting it all down, which is a great privilege that we get to recognize that we've been caught up in all of these things and we're not fulfilling our purpose. God wants to bless you. God wants to take you on a wild journey. He wants you to ride the kingdom wave that never stops and never dies. But you've got to grab hold of him. You've got to let go of the things of this world and hold on to him for dear life. We all have sin. You know today what separates you from God. You don't need a genie in a bottle to tell you that. You don't need a, a Ouija board to tell you that. You don't need a pastor to tell you that. You know what separates you from God. So I want to challenge you right now just to confess that. We're going to have time during our invitation time to respond and to get clean and come back to the Lord. God has sent his Holy Spirit, and he's here right now. If you're in Luke chapter 13, I want to challenge you to go over a few pages to the right to Luke chapter 15. And I want to read a passage, a parable of the lost sheep, that really gives you God's heart for you, where you're at today, for all of us. Luke chapter 15 is the parable of the lost sheep. Starting in verse 1, you'll see this about the Lord. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Pause. You know, the Bible says if we draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. And by you being here right now, listening to this, it shows the Lord that you are serious and you want to explore. You want to draw near to him. Verse 2. All the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners. And eats with them. You say, well, I never knew that about God. Well, absolutely. That's why he came. He came for sinners. He came for people that were messed up and broken. That's why he came to the earth. Verse 3. Jesus tells them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays on it his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner, one sinner in Hancock County, one sinner who repents, than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You see God's heart for you? He loves you. No matter what you've done, Jesus died for all of your sin on the cross. 
He loves you, and he's speaking to you now. You know, the Bible says that when Jesus was nailed to the cross and he had a crown of thorns and he was, he was beaten, he was stripped, he was hung publicly for you and for me. The Bible says in Matthew 27 that when Jesus died, that the earth shook. It shook. Why? Because he was God. Died for you. Matthew also tells us in Matthew 28, verse 2, that when Jesus came back to life, that the earth shook. He came back to life on three, three days later, just as he predicted. And Jesus paid for all of your sins. And he bought your life with an expensive price. His very own blood shed for you and shed for me and for the whole world. Jesus paid for your sins. That means you don't have to pay for them. Isn't that good news? You don't have to do anything else except for ex receive this amazing gift of salvation. Mohammed did not pay for your sins. Mohammed Gandhi did not pay for your sins. Buddha did not pay for your sins. Jesus paid for your sins. Mary, mother of Jesus, though she was awesome, God set her apart, raised her up to be miraculous and do incredible things for the kingdom. But even Mary did not pay for your sins. In the past, God overlooked ignorance, the Bible says, but now he commands everywhere people to repent, all people to repent. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were arrested. They were there in the prison, and they were having a party. They were hanging out, singing to the Lord, quoting scripture. The Bible says they were singing songs of the faith. And all of a sudden, the earth shook. You see, God has a habit of shaking people up to get their attention. The earth shook. The doors of the prison for every prisoner were swung open. And the Bible says that their chains were loosened. They came undone. The jailer who was in charge was going to commit suicide. See, if he let anyone go, he would be killed. So he's about to kill himself to stop this pain in his life and what would come of him. And Paul cries out in a loud voice. He says, do not harm yourself. There may be some people right now watching this live stream. You've thought about harming yourself during these days. And I want to tell you, don't do it. Don't do it. Stop listening to the voice of the enemy. Do not harm yourself. Paul cried out. He says, I, we are still here. We are still here. The jailer called for some lights to be brought, and he rushed in and threw himself before Paul and Silas, and he says, what do I need to do to be saved? Paul said these famous words. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus, you and your household, and you will be saved. Certainly the jailer thought, really? That's it? Just repent and believe? Paul said, absolutely, man. It's all been paid for. Jesus paid for it with his very own blood. You can never do it. You can never work yourself there. It's a free gift paid for on the cross. But you do need to repent. You need to change your mind. You need to change your ways. You need to change your direction and receive this free gift. And you'll be saved. Tonight we're going to talk about what do you do when you come to know Christ? What's next? How do you become a disciple? We'll be going live tonight at 6 o'clock. God, God's kindness leads us to repentance. 
Repentance means we have to be sorry for our sin and believe on the name of Jesus. Put my faith in the gospel. What's the gospel? We've talked about it the whole time. Jesus came, perfect, son of God. Nailed to a cross, lived a perfect life. Was a perfect sacrificial lamb the Old Testament talked about. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins, for our iniquities. The punishment that was upon him was meant for us. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, and each of us has turned to our own way, but the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was the perfect sacrifice if we'll simply come. And you need to come publicly. You can't just call upon the name of the Lord just in your house and never tell anybody. You see, you got to, after you come, you come publicly. Jesus died publicly for you. You need to come publicly for him. So you come today. You need to tell somebody. We're going to have a response time. And you can come, repent, put all your faith in Jesus. And you receive Christ. And we'll help you with the next steps. But you have to tell somebody. You have to communicate. You have to reach out through our social media pages. Reach out, send a message to us. Tell somebody that you have decided to repent and to believe in Jesus by faith. The Bible says if you do that, he'll set you free. Put a new song in your heart. Give you his spirit to live inside of you. Give you a new heart. He'll adopt you. So right now, the prison doors are swung open. The shackles are loosened. But you have to walk out of jail. You have to walk out of this life of slavery and grab hold of Jesus. No sin can keep you from getting right with God. You say, I can't do it. I can't stop. Friend, you may not can do it on your own, but God can help you. He's in the miracle-working business. We have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So right now, we're going to have that response time. You say, Pastor, what do I do? What do I need to do? Friend, God did all the work on the cross. Once and for all, he died for all the sins past, all your sins present, and all your sins in the future. You say, that's too good to be true. There's no way. Well, it's amazing grace. It doesn't make any sense. It's God's amazing grace that he purchased for you and for me. The Bible says that when you repent, he'll take your sins and he'll throw them as far as the east is from the west. That's good news. He'll, he'll, he'll forget your sins. You say, well, how can God forget? He knows everything. He chooses not to remember your sins. It's as if you've never sinned before when God looks at you after you've repented and believed in the power of the gospel by faith. Isn't that good? You can be set free from all of your sins and have a new purpose, a new life. Boys and girls can get a new daddy. Little boys and girls can get a new mommy. Boys and girls can get a new granddaddy, a new grandmother. Little boys and girls can be saved and come to faith in Jesus and be set free and given a great purpose to live for God.